Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. I want to also welcome you. I know you've already been welcomed by by Pastor John, but whether you're in this room or you're online streaming us, I just want to say welcome to you and specifically to our guests, to our visitors. One of the things, uh, just the way I look at folks that are connecting with us and visiting with us for the first, second time is that uh, we're in the process of building a friendship, building a relationship. And that doesn't all happen in one day. It doesn't happen with one visit. It doesn't happen with one connection, right? Friendships happen over a series of of connections over a series of times of interacting together. Uh, one of the things that you can do if you're visiting us, if you've been here, is, is to help us know who you are, okay? And the way you can do that is uh, over behind the give or by the giving center or by the orange wall there, there is a QR code. Uh, hit that QR code with your phone and um, not literally for older folks, not literally hit it with your phone, but younger folks know what I mean by that, okay? Uh, having said that, I don't even know what I mean by that. Use the QR code in some way, right? And, uh, and uh, it, what will, will that, that will take you to our connection card. Now, church folks, use that connection card. If you have some areas we need to be praying for, you have some things you need to communicate to us about how we can minister to you this week or, or things that we need to know about what's going on in your life right now to better know how to pray for you, that's how you can use that. Guests, you can use that by giving us all the information that you feel comfortable with us having, your email, your cell phone, your physical address. When we get that, here's my commitment to you. No one's going to show up on the door unannounced. No one's going to be snooping around. We're not going to be sending you uh, spam mail and junk mail you know, every day or anything like that. But what we want to do is put some things in your hands, get some information in, you, in your hands about who we are as a church, about our vision of where we're going in the future, uh, get you some things to help you better understand where you're at and, and who, what kind of people you're around and what kind of place you're putting your kids in, in the kids zone. We want to get those kinds of things to you. I want to be able to get you uh, contact information for me so that you could connect with me anytime you would like. Uh, that would be a huge help, and that would be a very important step in our relationship building. If you would just take the time to give us those physical things so that we know how to connect with you, how to best uh, communicate with you in the future. Uh, so anyway, just want to give that to you and put that out there and, uh, and, and want to start where we're where we left off last week, we we're talking about how do you thrive in a culture that is completely different than what you value, in a culture that is radically different than the one that you have once existed in. You know, Daniel had that experience. Daniel understood that implicitly, and, and he not only survived in a culture that was hostile to his his family, to his faith, to his religion, to his nationality. He thrived in that culture. He succeeded to a level that very few of us could ever aspire to, even if we're in the middle of our, of our culture that we totally own. And so how did Daniel do that? And we looked at, uh, at the area of that he had hope. He had incredible hope in God, had hope in the future. Uh, last week, we talked about how Daniel, uh, Daniel just, you know, he was able to, to 
to go with the flow. He was able to, to make good choices. Today, what we're talking about is wisdom. Wisdom. Daniel had to have wisdom in his life. Last week, I introduced to you the story about when I was street preaching in New Orleans during the Mardi Gras season, and I came across the, that soothsayer, that, that uh, palm reader, the tarot card guy named Jarek. And I talked to you about it. I just gave you a partial story, a partial glimpse. And, and I got to admit, I, I couldn't help. I couldn't make you hang. I was too nice to you and that I couldn't let you just hang on, did I l let him read my palm or not? And I gave you the quick answer, but I didn't tell you the whole story. So there we were, and as I'm offering, asking if I can pray uh, over him, and if I could pray that the Holy Spirit would convict him of his sin, would convict him of his need for Jesus Christ in his life, uh, that soothsayer there standing in Jackson Square uh, looked at me and said, well, I, you can do that if I can read your palm, if, if you let me read your palm. And I get, shared that last week. I didn't tell the whole story, though, because the whole story is, as I was sitting there with this dilemma going, what do I do? What do I do here? If I let him read my palm, am I somehow consorting with demons? Am I, am I somehow now agreeing, looking upon sin, looking upon evil with a wink and a nod? And as I'm dealing with this, I pray a prayer just in my mind of, Lord, give me wisdom to best honor you, to best give you glory. As I'm praying that prayer, there's a group of people standing behind me observing the whole experience. These people clearly were churchgoers. They were clearly religious people. They would be called in our culture strong Christians. The verdict was out if they were Christ followers. I honestly don't know if that was the case, but I do know they were very firm in their convictions and they were very firm in their commitment to attending church and to Christendom. You see, there's a difference between Christianity and Christendom. Christendom is the concept of the Christian culture spreading throughout a culture and building basically a kingdom on earth. That's called Christendom, okay? That's what, not to go down a, a path too far, but that's what the church wanted to accomplish when, when they went into, uh, went into Palestine during the Crusades. They wanted to create an earthly kingdom for God, okay, uh, that was under their own rule. That was Christendom. Uh, anyway, there were people behind me that were definitely very devout and committed to Christendom. I don't know if they were committed to Jesus. Um, I, I just don't know. They might have been. They might not have been. But when I, after I prayed that prayer and I just felt an unction of the Holy Spirit saying, go with me, Tony, go with me, uh, you're uncomfortable here, lean into me. And I felt a sense to say, how could I not ask this man to allow me to put my Christian, my spiritual values in his life for a moment? How could I not turn around and honor him by saying, Abe, have your best whack at reading my future, buddy. And so I said, sure, Jarek, you can, you can read my palm. These people erupted. They erupted behind me. John was there. He remembered the melee that ensued. He, these people were screaming at me of, of, that I was a false prophet, that I was there, I was consorting with demons there to confuse all, all the faithful Christians that were gathered in that environment. When I heard those words, I'm thinking, dude, 
Take a look around. We're in Mardi Gras. There's not a lot of faithful Christians. Yeah, this is not a Sunday school party, friend. Uh, you know, that is not the environment we're in right now. And in that moment, I prayed another prayer. God, again, I'm praying for wisdom. I'm praying for wisdom. What do I do here? What do I do? You know, at this time, I'm a 23-year-old punk kid. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to be faithful to the Lord in, in this environment. And, and, uh, and so these people are screaming, screaming, uh, just some very hateful, vile words aimed at Jarek, some hateful, vile words aimed at me. Am I overstating the, the experience, John? John's shaking his head no here, for those of you who are streaming with us. Um, just incredibly tense scenario. Well, you know, as I already said, Jarek did read my hand, and the Holy Spirit in that process was reading Jarek's heart, and all around there immediately, not on my own, not for my own making, there was a lab that began for anyone that would pay attention, for the people that were committed to Christendom, for the atheists who were walking around, for the party goers and the nihilistic thinkers who were there just to create some crazy memories. Everyone who gathered around, and there was probably at this point about 35 people in this little huddle, we had a lab that developed where we were able to experiment and see and see that the powers that Jarek claimed to have that were given to him through the ancient spirits and the mystical powers of the world, you or I would say through, through demonic forces, that those powers were fraudulent and Jarek had no, no extra powers that he was capable of. It was, he was just a, a sleight of hand trickster. And we were able to demonstrate that with 35 people seeing this. And seeing that someone who goes and reads a, a palm or, or has their fortune told, it's, it's just hucksters and it's trickery and it's fakery. And I would say as a moment right now, for those of you who are like, oh, you know, what's, yeah, I, go, I go have my fortune told every once in a while. You know, I've read of, of, of women's parties where they'll go, a group of them will go together to hear their fortune. I've heard and talked to men who individually are coming up uh, with a difficult decision and they'll sneak off to maybe some kind of fortune teller or some kind of profit of some kind. You know, I'll just tell you, you're wasting your money. Even for entertainment value, there's no entertainment in that. You are wasting your money. I would say from this pulpit, you'd be better spent, that money would be better spent with the lottery than to go there. And hear me, the lottery is a tax on the poor and it's a waste of money. I would never spend my money on the lottery. But that tells you where all this stuff goes to, okay? Let's see, what other groups do I need to offend now, John? What other uh, practices here? If, uh, you know, uh, the, these people were able to, to see that, to show that to them. And then in the midst of it, able to proclaim the gospel in a powerful way in which we could show that Jesus, Jesus was the real deal. He really died on a cross. He really rose from the dead. There was no sleight of hand. There was no trickery with Jesus. And in the midst of that, as we were able to proclaim that to those people, we're able to also proclaim that, Jarek, even you and your cat-eye-wearing, fang-producing mouth, hip-hugging hip boots, Silver sterling gold or silver, silver sterling jewelry with you rejecting all of American culture and going to this gothic craze. Even you can be clearly and dearly loved by God. 
What a message. What a message that was proclaimed in that moment. Why am I telling you this now? Because the reality is what I experienced and what I discovered when I was 23 years old is something that we all feel to some level today. And that is that we, if we are faithful to the cause of Christ in our lives, we will be put in situations where we need wisdom. We need wisdom. You see, the, there's a day in which, yep, your neighbors all believe the same thing you did. Your, your baseball coach that your, kid, uh, that your kid is on believe the same thing you did. The umpire at the baseball game believe the same thing you did. Your kid's teachers believe the same thing you do. The principal believes the same thing you do. The person checking out your groceries believes the same thing you do. But you know what? We don't live in that era anymore, friends. I mean, that almost harkens back to like an Andy Griffith sort of life, right? And we could sit around and go, I wish it could be that way again. And hear, hear me, friends. I'll say this too. I do too. I do too, but we're making a mistake if we just sit around our entire day going, boy, I just wish that we went back to the olden days. I just wish we went back to the days when you could sleep with your doors uh, unlocked and your windows open. I wish we could go back to the days where you could park somewhere, anywhere in Springfield and leave your window open to your car. I wish we could go back to any day where I could talk about my Christian values and not have to worry about maybe being somehow canceled in this cancel culture or being maybe critiqued by my boss or maybe being judged unfairly by my neighbors. I wish we could go back to a day where we were all alike. Well, guess what, friends? We're not going back to that day. Matter of fact, the statistics, if you, if you look at the statistics, if you look at our, the next generation, their views of life, it looks like it's only going to get worse than better. Barring an incredible work of God, an incredible revival that would be, be earth-shattering, we are going to become a culture that is defined as post-Christian, a post-truth culture, a culture where truth is no longer relevant and is no longer important, but what is the, the hierarchy is people's opinions and people's feelings and people's outlooks. And the thing is, is a lot of people's outlooks are just point blank wrong. Well, guess what? By me saying that, that already identifies what I view about truth, right? That truth is absolute. Uh, because someone who who is on that other stage would be like, who gives you the right to say what is right or wrong, Tony? You know, they, that's their argument. That's the culture we live in. That's the culture we will continue to live in. So how do we thrive in that culture? Well, we need wisdom, friends. We need wisdom to learn how to navigate. Do we, do we, when we're put in these situations, do we choose to stand our ground and maybe perhaps die on a hill? Or do we compromise in ways? Ah, compromise. The word that is most hated by the vast majority of Christians today, right? Friend, I would tell you this right now. I don't know, I don't understand it completely why the word compromise is feared and hated by pastors and sincere Christ followers, but I'm here to tell you compromise is not our enemy. Compromise is not something to shun. Compromise is not a bad thing. If you look 
in holy writ. If you look in the scriptures, look at Daniel, there were several things he compromised on that you and I would probably be like, I don't know about that, Pastor Tony. I mean, we talked about last week how Daniel, a name that was given to him by his parents that honored the living God, and Daniel's renamed Belteshazzar, which is all praise and all glory goes to Bel. What is Bel? Bel was a pagan god, some would say a demon from hell that the Babylonians worshipped. And Daniel was named, renamed, all praise goes to Bel. And you know what? We don't see anywhere in Scripture where he bucked against that. He answered to that name. He took to that name. And he did not argue with that from what we can see in Scripture. We see that Daniel compromised in his studies. He spent 10 years where he was learning the dark arts. He was learning astrology. He was learning divinity. He was learning tarot cards. He was learning how to cut open a farm animal and read its entrails to tell the future. He was learning those things. Hear me clearly. There was Scripture. There was laws that Daniel was 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 aware of within the scripture, within his religion, that forbid the practice of divination. There were no laws that said you could not learn the art. You see what Daniel was doing there? Daniel was like, okay, I'll go to your school, and I'll take your classes, and I'll, I'll study your sciences, and I will pass your tests, but I don't believe those things to be truth. It was akin to what I was doing when I was taking those science classes in college in which a, a lecturer was faithfully preaching evolution. And I would record the answer that he was looking for on the test when I finished that semester. And I would write down the answers about where we came from and I would define evolution. And then I'd put a little asterisk because I'm Tony Turner and I just can't help myself. And I would say, you know, I don't believe any of this, but I'm giving you the answer because I know this is what you're looking for. I have learned your sciences and your philosophies to pass this class. I would do that, right? I would, I would, I would give them the answers they were looking for. I'd learned their, I'd learned their theories. Daniel learned their theories. He compromised. He didn't stand there and say, you can't make me. I'm not going to open up that book on the occult. I'm not going to take those trainings from those magi, from those stargazers. You can't make me do it. You can kill me. I'd rather be burned in a fire than experience that. No, he compromised in that. He compromised on his work scenario. When he was assigned to the court of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel could have said, no way, that man was the one who murdered my parents. That man was the man who destroyed the temple. That man was the man that took me away from my country. Never will I serve him. Oh, no, he did it, didn't he? He compromised those things. But then there was also areas in Daniel's life where he stood his ground, right? It wasn't all compromise for Daniel. Pastor Dave talked about in Daniel 1 where, where they were told to eat forbidden food, food that was dedicated to the pagan gods of that day, food that was tainted in the minds of Daniel and his friends. And what did they do? They stood their ground and they said, let's do a test. Let us eat only vegetables. And after a period of time, let just observe us and see, are we healthy? And if we're healthy, let us continue on this track of eating, just wa drinking water and eating vegetables and having a vegetarian diet here. And so Daniel stood his ground in, in Daniel 1 over that. In chapter 6, we come across a place where Daniel had very clear spiritual practices of how he honored the living God. And one of the things that Daniel evidently would do was three days, three times a day, he would go into his, his window where all could see 
and he would ascribe glory to the living God. He would pray to the living God facing his homeland. And he did that every day to the point of where his enemies took note of that. And his enemies were trying to figure out a way to, to have Daniel destroyed. And, and so they were able, through a complex uh, series of political machinations, they convinced the ruler Darius to, to have an edict that no one could pray to any other god except for the ruling potentate at that time. And for 30 days, if anyone prayed to anything else other than the government, that those people should be destroyed, they should be killed. Daniel did not compromise in there, did he? Now me, I got to say, in my, my, my carnal mind, in my, in my, uh, you know, my worldly mind, I, as I'm reading that story, I'm thinking, Daniel, okay, fine, continue to pray, but maybe you pray in your prayer closet for 30 days. Don't let anyone see what you're doing. Uh, you know, that's what's going through my mind, but Daniel didn't do that. He stood on a hill there and said, this is worth dying on, and he made sure he did not change his his experience, he did not change his habits whatsoever. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, we read what is recorded. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs from where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. He he knew what it was to compromise. Yes, absolutely. But Daniel also knew what it was to stand your ground and to say, no, no, this is a hill that I'm going to die on. Verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. These men that were looking to trap Daniel, they found him doing what he was doing. They reported it. They reported it to the king. Many of you grown up in church, you know the story. Daniel is thrown into a den of hungry lions, right? And in that time, God does a big thing. God showed up and saved Daniel, brought glory to his name. The people who were trying to destroy Daniel were destroyed. And the king saw and learned a very powerful lesson about Daniel's God. You see, Daniel's world was a complex world, full of political aspirations of individuals, full of all sorts of powers vying for attention. It was very complex. We live in a complex world. So how do you navigate a very complex world, a world that is maybe different than what you once knew, a world that you, that you find not as comfortable as it was, say, 15 or 20 or 25 years ago? How do you navigate this world today? One that is growing more hostile to the things of God and to the, the people of God. Well, for that, I just I go into the New Testament and I, I turn to a book. First John has some really interesting insights. If you have a copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. John, who is living, I might remind you, John is in a world that is hostile, the Roman world, hostile to the things of God. They are, in many cases, in many segments, in many pockets of Roman culture, people that are doing everything they can to stomp out this new faith, this faith that was at that time considered a deviant cult, a group of heretics who deserved 
to be murdered. And John writes this, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What's John saying? John's saying there's no need to fear. There's no need to stress. Be confident in the God who is within us, who is before us, and be confident in his provision at the perfect times. Now, there's a question that is addressed here, or there's a, a group of people that we don't understand who they are, that, that God has overcome them. Them. Who's them? Who is them? Well, for, for understanding, let's start at verse 1 of chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Listen to this. You want to know if, if, if the thing that you believe is, about, is of God or not? Well, John's saying, here's how you test it. Every spirit, every idea, every principle, everything that is before you, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist here, John is not talking about a person. He's talking about a philosophy. He's talking about a, uh, an idea that many people can take in their lives. And he is defining it as the Antichrist spirit, the opposite of Christ, the opposite of what Christ is passionate about. And he says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in, the, in you is greater than the one who is in this world. God's spirit is greater than the antichrist spirit that is powering, that is emanating, that is giving insight, that is giving direction to people who oppose the things of God. The reality is the powers that are set to destroy you and I, the powers that are in this world that want to see the Christian faith stamped out, the powers that want to diminish the idea of right versus wrong, of truth, the ideas of wanting to diminish what true justice looks like and what true justice is in this world, those powers that want to destroy those things, they will be overcome, friends. They will be. There is no doubt. John does not stutter. When John is writing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, he did not have a big lump in his throat going, man, I hope I'm telling the truth right now. Man, I, I, hope, I hope God comes through for us. I mean, at this point in John's life, he saw, he saw a living God rise from the dead. John saw the works of the living God and the Holy Spirit. He saw the greatness of God. His confidence rested assured. The reason why sometimes we don't have confidence is because, honestly, we've not had the eyes to see God at work in our lives and God at work in the world around us. But John was not that guy. He saw the greatness and the goodness and the power of God, and he was able to be resolute when he said, greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in you. The powers that are set to destroy us, that want to see us destroyed, just like the powers that wanted to see Daniel destroyed, they will be overcome when we 
look to Jesus, when we listen to Jesus, when we obey the words of Jesus in our lives. Friends, as a church, this is who we are. This is who we are. And my hope as your pastor, and I can promise you John's hope, Pastor John's hope and Pastor Dave's hope, is that we are, want to be a church that is good at seeking God. I honestly don't care if we ever have a, another softball team fielding into a softball league. I certainly don't care if we bring home the trophy for that year. I really don't care about being really good at, at having a softball team if we're not good at seeking God. I really don't care that we're good at being able to, to relieve homelessness in Springfield, Missouri, if we're not good at seeking God. I really don't care if we have the most beautiful facilities with the greatest coffee and the best donuts in the world and, and have the greatest comfort that we could offer every, every member and every guest as they come to our church. Maybe we replace all of these chairs with those dollar bill chairs that you find in the mall that gives you a massage, right? And, and on top of that, Dave, we, even, we make it rain in here so everyone gets dollar bills to have a massage while they're listening and worshiping God, Right? I don't care to have that kind of comfort in our presence if we're not good at seeking God. Friends, I don't care where you come from. I don't care where your background is. You know, in this congregation, in this room here, we have former, we have people who identify as Catholics. We have people who identify as Episcopalians. We have Baptists here. We have Methodists here. We have non-denomination people. We have people who would say, well, you know, I was really an atheist until somehow I came to this church and now I just quite don't know yet. You know, we have vast, vast differences in opinions here. You know, within political parties, we have people that are alt-right and people that are alt-left here. People that, you know, say the craziest things on both sides of the party. We have Democrats and we have, we have Republicans. We have people who probably haven't voted since 1976 here. And you know what? I really don't care what your political persuasion is if you're not good at seeking God. That's who we are as a people. Let's be a people in this church who seek the living God. And once we seek him and he speaks to us, let's actually walk down that path set before us. That's one of the things that we saw and had a very strong, a very strong persuasion on before pre-COVID when we discovered and, and came across the words of people who, people, we want to be people who stand, stand in the gap for people who can't or won't stand in the gap for themselves. We came to that understanding several months before COVID hit in which we said, God, we don't understand fully what this means, but we know that there are a lot of people in the world that are hurting, a lot of people that are far from you, and many of those people are ignored by most of the church. So let us be people who do not ignore those folks. And let us be people who bring consistently through our lives and through our words the message that when you find Jesus, you find life. That when we, we be, we're going to be people that are not just do-gooders out there standing in the gap taking care of people's physical needs, but we're going to be people who faithfully proclaim the truth that when you find Jesus, you're going to find life. You're going to find everything you're looking for. You're going to find somewhere to put your hope in. And friends, my hope, my prayer is if you're in this room today, 
Or if you're watching us online and streaming this service, you can say, Amen, Tony. That's who we are too. We want to be a family that, you know what, we really don't care if our kid's the next major leaguer. We want to teach a kid to, to understand how to seek after God. We really don't care if our kid is a 4.0 student and is going to have an all-expense-paid college tuition. If they, if they don't know how to seek God when they're 18, if they don't know that but even they're the greatest student, if I've not taught them how to seek God, then I've failed as a parent. That's the kind of families that we want to raise here. That's the kind of people we want to be. And I invite you, I invite you to take the next step that's before you to continue down that journey. And you say, Tony, what, what is that next step? Tell me what it is. And you know, my answer is, I don't know. I don't know because of all the scores of families we have here, everyone is in a different place in their life. But this is what I do know. I do know that we live in a world that is, is chaotic and confusing. And every day, mom, Every day, dad. Every day, husband. Every day, wife. You have a choice. You can say, I am going to do everything I can to lean into the presence of God and hear his presence. I am going to engage in these scriptures in some way this day, and I want to lean into the presence of God. And when I hear God's word, I will do it. Or you can say, you know what? I'm just going to continue to live my life because it's kind of comfortable. It's kind of comfortable, and it's nice, and it's, it's easy, and it makes sense to me, so I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Families, you have a choice. You have a choice. My prayer is that you come alongside your pastors and you come alongside other friends and other family members in this church and say, you know what? I'm going to live in a chaotic world with wisdom because I know greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I know that God will provide me the wisdom I need to navigate if I will only be sensitive and maybe, maybe I'll throw another verse at you, maybe slow to speak and quick to listen, right? Not so reactive, but instead maybe step back and listen to God's spirit at work in your life and see what happens out of that. And let's see what happens to our culture. Let's see what happens in our world. Let's see what happens when maybe a few of us find ourselves thriving in the middle of Babylon. And people around you are going, how? How does that happen? And you're living your real-life Daniel story. Pray with me. Father, we come before you. And God, it's our voice. It's our, it's our understanding. It's our will to know that we, we, cannot, we cannot save anyone. We cannot save our culture. We cannot do anything, God with great power or authority without your name, without your power being involved. And so, Lord, we pray right now, may, may the truth that, that your spirit is in us, may the people who call themselves Christ followers today develop a deep confidence knowing that your spirit is present in their lives. And God, give us, give your church wisdom to understand the areas where maybe we need to compromise in the world that we live in, and the areas where we need to stand on a hill and be willing to die on that hill and stand our ground. Help us to understand which is which and be faithful with humility in living that out. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.